Hello, welcome to Circuit and Gear, a podcast where we discuss scenic automation and other interesting tech. I'm Gareth Connor and Cody Green. Good to have you on the show, man. First time, long time. I thought it'd be great to get you on the show. As we've been doing on these last couple episodes, why don't we kick it off with uh, what do you do here at Creative Connors? I do some mechanical design, a fair amount of mechanical design uh, for lately it's been a lot of custom projects and odds and ends uh and then also control design as well um and then a little bit of software writing for custom gigs uh and then usually once i design something i end up coming up to the shop and commissioning it and then going and then going on site and doing either operator training or loading something in or you know getting the shows actually happening yeah so you do a fair amount of our graphic work as well that is true a lot of silk screens uh and then renderings and all right. of those things how did you get started in theater are you a longtime theater guy i did not start out interested particularly in theater um i s- wanted to be an architect oh. uh in middle school okay uh, and i had a friend whose mom was like a graphic designer that was interested in theater and um i wanted to go to a performing arts high school that we had in las vegas because uh, some of my friends were going there and uh and one of my friends moms was saying well you know if you want to be an architect the, the people backstage in the theater you know they draw the scenery and they make oh, all yeah. the walls and the things that is my inroad to theater was to be an architect and then i started doing it and it was like welding and making cool stuff and like right ran some like turntables for the whiz like turn pot like that was very exciting and then i was like oh yeah there's no there's no going back <laughs> <laughs> and i don't know about you but like I, I remember in high school i don't know somewhere like between freshman and sophomore year i somehow got clued into like you could go to college for this which never even crossed my mind like, yeah i was like a sophomore in high school and one of my friends was like oh yeah like junior year next year like i really want to go to i don't even remember what school it was at the time but and i was like oh what and they're like yeah and at lva we had unified auditions so a lot of colleges would come and oh uh, like come to the school to on the state to recruit and that's where i interviewed for a few different schools and then was approached by Peter Sargent at Webster. Uh, oh yeah, and yeah. Had some a few friends going there already, and really loved it there. And it was fantastic. It was, yeah. it was interesting going from a performing arts high school where it was like you get to focus on technical theater, and then I went to college and it was like you really get to focus on technical theater. <laughs> so. There is no world of the theater. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pay no attention. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, um, yeah, and that was fantastic. It like blew my mind. My parents, I think, more blew their minds, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I went to be a technical director there. By the time you got to Webster, were you like pretty critically on the path of like going towards technical direction and automation stuff, or were you? No, I was okay. like thinking, uh, cool. I built a lot of sets, and at the at my high school, there was no student scene designers. It was all like professional scene designers, or oh. one of the faculty would do it. Yeah, uh, and so it was like that. Was like, oh, I really want to try scene design. That would that's be, the next. Like, echelon, that's the next right? thing. I yeah, like. Okay. I'm making my benchmarks now. I got to keep right, hitting right. those levels. Uh, and so, and so I started. There's a ton of art classes, and you know, I like drawing and stuff like that. Yeah. And started getting into design and. Uh, and then I double majored in scenic design and technical direction. Oh. Uh, and then my sophomore year, I worked at Opera Theater of St. Louis, which is on campus at Webster. Everyone at Webster uses Creative Connors gear uh, and owns a bunch of the gear. And so that was my first exposure to automation. And then I ended up getting an internship at Creative Connors yeah. my June, summer before my junior, or it was 2012. Okay. 2012, yeah, summer okay. of 2012. 
yeah, and so reached right. out and applied for I think the first internship, the first year of internships. I don't know. I could that it was you know, now that you're saying that. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I think I was the first intern. <laughs> yeah but you're right that was the first summer we rented you guys an apartment no no furnished it no it was royal's old apartment <laughs> he wanted to move and so he moved and, and you guys, we hopped in right after he had moved out over in sunny cranston rhode island <laughs> cranston uh yeah and and yes and there was a uh just like a bunch of bed boxes and that you guys had to assemble. <laughs> yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for years after, we had like a collection of furniture. And now Airbnb. Yeah, yeah. I bet that makes it much easier. Yeah, much easier. But uh, yeah. That is funny. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you were here for <laughs> for that internship. Yes. And you went back to college and finished up your last year at school? Yeah. So it was after, my, it was my last year of school. And like, it was a pretty revolutionary amazing experience for me that summer like we mm. we did a bunch of really cool stuff and it was like oh no this is this is it like this is the stuff and yeah. went back to school and i was like i need to take some more computer programming classes and like right. really dip into that stuff and really get as much out of that as i could and so you ended up taking a couple of comp sci classes yeah yeah i took a intro to computer science and then i took a c plus plus class yeah. yeah it was nice it was good well the only because now it's like the class that the freshman should take if you want to be a like a computer science, science major, major. Yeah. so they're like yeah we'll just put those at 8 a.m and then that cool. at the time <laughs> <laughs> second semester senior year is not when i would say yeah. do the early, early class but got through it and so then after that you came back and worked for us yeah moved to sunny rhode island but then that was at the unfortunate like one of the most unfortunate times in our cci history that like at we had a hit a rough patch financially and right after christmas basically in the new year we laid off everybody except for me and royal i often say like that we're on kind of like creative counters 3.0 we had like the gareth in his basement or is in a garage era mm -hmm. and we had like that, that first attempt at trying to make a company with real employees and so on and then we had we faltered on that and then in the last about four years, four or five years, uh, like rebuilding the company again and on a little bit more solid footing. And with almost anything I do, I don't typically do a very good job the first time, mm. but I'm, it, I'm nothing if not doggedly persistent. I feel like we've gotten a, a little bit better handle on it in the, you know, it's only taken me 15 years to figure out how to do this. But so anyway, you got laid off, which was a real unfortunate situation for both of us, more for you than for me, I'm sure, because you yeah. were the guy getting laid off. But it really <laughs> sucked for me too, to lose like people that I really enjoyed working with. But luckily you got a job at Hudson. I did. Yeah. I had, uh, some friends, Matt Carter. Yeah. Who's yeah. Done a little work with us. Done a little work with us, uh, was at Hudson at the time as an intern. And I had texted him and was like, Hey, uh, they had happened to be doing a bunch of big automation shows that were going out, um, like for spring. And so I ended up taking a Peter Pan bus on down to New York city and staying on a friend's couch for, like six months uh, <laughs> classic new york story yeah. yeah yeah um and and working at hudson uh in the automation department they do a few shows a year as I <laughs> they did they do i mean a couple of cool things they do some pretty awesome stuff there yeah. i mean it was an interesting total shift of like there was five of us and right then it yeah, was like, like and now i'm on the floor and there's like 80 to 100 people and like right. it's a whole machine and there's you know 
tons of shows going on and right shows aren't like literally some of the biggest shows on broadway if not the world right? if, like, yeah exactly yeah. and so the scale is just insane and like you know it's not just we need to build that one machine it's like we need to build 10 of that machine and then another five of that other machine and then right all the drive cabinets. it was pretty yeah and you worked on the floor there for a bit yeah so it was, i was on the floor and so the way the floor there works is you know you're kind of at will as the shows are busy and not busy and so i had my second layoff experience <laughs> <laughs> after a bunch of the big shows went out uh and yeah i did some kind of like carpentry stuff and kind of floated around and then i was back at hudson for a while and then um briefly was at uh showman fabricators um, okay when they were still in long Island city doing yeah. some automation and um like tv studios if i recall yeah right? it was a lot of tv studios yeah. um and they have like a really interesting it's similar to hudson in scale but it's a totally different market and yeah. so um like their electrics department at the time was also their automation department yeah and so then i ended up showing up and was like oh yeah i do automation stuff and they're like oh cool. cool and then they like paid me to read the Raynock manual for a day and yeah they're like you're going to the today show tomorrow it's <laughs> <I was> like <laughs> make sure you know where <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so yeah that was pretty cool too to just like keep right. seeing new control systems and right. new ways that people do the thing that i just learned about in college <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah um now you've been working at two giant shops in new york city that are both union were you at this point in the union were you how did how were you able to be employed uh so i was not in the union um and so at the time uh hudson is a local one scene shop it's one of the few that are left is still in local one because it's up in yonkers not yep. in uh, like manhattan proper uh and then showman it was local four because they were in long island city um and so when you start working in those unions you earn x amount of money in that union and if you do it for three consecutive years then you take a series of classes and you give them a sizable check and then they give you the card and okay you join yeah. that union so at the time i was just making money towards either of those uh unions so but you were able to yeah to you, still work at those places like yeah. so folks that like you know if there were another a younger person out there in college that who wants to go work at hudson it's possible to go get a job there and yeah. not be in the union yet but work towards earning your union card yeah totally yeah uh with the scale of particularly of those two shops it's like yeah, you're on a union contract and we're going to pay you union wages and you're going to pay your union dues, dues. your 4% yeah. to the pension and stuff. They'd love for you to join and they just want people. So, mm -hmm. and so, so that was just trying to find the talent to fill yeah. the roster. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then we had the good fortune of actually being able to, to get you back at creative Connors. There was like many, a. Uh, trip that you would take down to the city for like a bid session or uh yeah i don't know what we saw i saw you once at hudson uh, <laughs> yeah that's uh, a different story but yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. um <laughs> and we kept having dinner and drinks and being like oh man when are we gonna work together again right and um there happened to be a very slow summer at hudson and uh suddenly you became available right which was awesome for us essentially so. like, hey Remember that thing that we talked about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you're still living in New York. Yeah, I do still live in New York. I live in Manhattan, yeah. um, which is not Rhode Island. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it t definitely a different experience. When I was here last, there was five of us, and we were all very close and very, I mean, physically. And <laughs> <laughs> it's a small state. There's a not a lot of yeah. room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then going coming back to it and there's you know 15 20 employees perils at 24 oh okay. yeah, yeah yeah and then i wasn't in the room yeah. <laughs> so 
a pretty interesting adjustment on like interacting and working remote and like i think it was last week i was hard into the design world and had happened to go grocery shopping the weekend before and so i just didn't leave my apartment for like a week it was like almost a full week and it can get a little surreal right yeah yeah. (laughs) is there a world out there (laughs) yeah right yeah yeah i've had a weird interaction with the weather because i it doesn't affect me much now (laughs) and uh and i'll be like what is it like out there Oh, it's cold. Uh, I hate that. <laughs> I'll just wait a month. Yeah. <laughs> I don't got to go. Out. Um, yeah. And so, like, we do a lot of, I mean, we're always adjusting. And in fact, we're talking even now about, like, how do we, how do we do better at making sure that our company feels like more like one holistic company? We do a lot of collaboration, a lot through Basecamp. Basecamp is like the conduit. Like that's how I get a hold of anybody, talk to anybody. Uh, yeah. Until we're like need to hop on like a video chat or a phone call or something like that. But right. yeah, it's very little email. Uh, like, um, yeah, pretty much Basecamp. Yeah. Which is a fantastic tool. Uh, yeah. It's it's pretty awesome. We do a stand up morning meeting every day at the shop to like kick off the day we're like ah, oh, maybe we should like open that up do it as a a google hangout or something because you are not the only remote employee correct yeah yeah it is an interesting shift of once i have designed something or you know something is going to get built like oh did people start on that oh <laughs> oh did that material arrive oh like without having to hunt through like looking trying to parse through information someone can just yeah. be like oh i'm gonna start the machine drawings for that new thing I'll be yeah like, Oh, <laughs> I have feelings about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, all that aside, I did want to talk to you about a couple of specific projects and products that you've been intimately involved with. Over the summer, we built a thing for Theater Calgary, which was their new production of Christmas Carol, right? Correct. And uh, I think Mike and I touched on this a couple episodes ago, but it was, well, you'd do better. What, what, what were we making for <laughs> Theater Calgary? Uh, so we were making some tracking, well, there was some spinning periactoid that traveled on and off stage. So there was four of them hung on two trusses that would track on stage and then rotate. And so the different scenes would be on different sides of the units. That was the basics of it. And then also we had the bridge, right? Yeah. So four spot lines with some custom like bucking and muling that we did around to drop to uh, and then also a retrofit for a lift. Right, which was a Hyde Power lift. Indeed. Yeah, it was a bed lift uh, center stage, uh, <laughs> as people are wont to do with uh, Christmas, Christmas Carol. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so the lift itself is very, very cool. nice. It was very cool. Uh, I mean, the function of it was fantastic. The, you know, they just wanted a bit, they wanted to run it on our control. Yep. So it could run with the rest of the show. And then also we wanted to add some, well, they wanted and we wanted to add some, some safety, safety features. Yeah. yeah. Um, some crush detection and some shielding and things like that for yeah. any um, loose limbs and things like that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hope, hoping to keep those limbs attached. Yeah. So um, the periactoy that we're tracking, we were tracking him with some push stick minis that were geared down a little bit. But the, the periactoy were spinning by some custom machines correct yeah so we designed what was originally called a rotator that then became a sky turtle i still love that name yeah and and they do too 
because <laughs> they made a logo for it. They him. made yeah, custom Graham over there at Theater Calgary designed up some like turtles with wings and he awesome named the four of them <laughs> so to match the the Mutant Ninja Turtles. So yeah. It was, it was pretty awesome. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't I didn't get any of those stickers. I should have. Oh. Uh, so yeah, so there was a new custom machine to take the load of this pretty massive uh, How heavy were they? They were they were very heavy. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. It was a while ago. Well over a ton. Yeah, yeah. I think we had started at 1,500 pounds, and then we're like, all right, well, ton is definitely all we can do. And then we found out we that it could definitely do it. More like, than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was pretty substantial loads and things like that. So we... Um, the track was Unibeam? Uh, yeah, so we did two runs of Unibeam, and so the machines rode along with like their UBM... 26A carriers or something. Uh, <laughs> but they're heavy duty senior Big, yeah, they're heavy yeah. duty uh, senior carriers. A bunch of them. Eight of them, yeah, yeah. per machine. Um, and then we tracked the, bolted those up to a truss that we like had here in Fabd and made a bunch of bracket, bracketing to attach them to each other to make them all rigid, rigid. And then, um, and then our machine hung from those carriers. Yeah. And what was the kind of bones of that machine the bones of that machine so we had a, a big aluminum plate uh that had kind of <laughs> it was half or five eighths i think it was the main plate right. uh, um that kind of spanned across and then we had like a mod truss six inch mod truss frame above that that all just made it super solid and rigid that attached the carriers to it yeah and then from underside of that half inch plate we had uh some standoffs going to like a one inch plate <laughs> of aluminum um uh-huh. Uh-huh. to uh hold a worm gear slewing drive and that thing was kind of cool. That thing was very cool. With the size of these units, they they didn't have to move crazy fast. Um, and yeah. so we ended up using a worm gear slewing drive that's like normally used for like bobcats and like uh, like construction equipment. Yeah. And so, but folks who might be familiar with a uh, what I would call a normal slewing ring, like where it's got just a a spur gear outer ring or inner ring, this instead ha- had a worm tooth on it yeah and it had both the input and output built into one casting it was built to have a hydraulic motor yeah yeah which was interesting too because we then had to go we went with a servo drive we had just uh started using some lexi the lexium i'm not familiar one you might find in a spotlight, <laughs> spotlight mini. mini perhaps uh yeah. yeah uh so we were like we'll just use that and then yeah. we had to find our way from that to to a some hydraulic mode yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, which yeah. was like a very weird spline shaft right uh that I had to like design yeah you had kind of a cool detail in there yeah, yeah. so we like stepped down this like spline shaft into uh like a big chunk of Another big chunk of aluminum (laughs) (laughs) Um, with some shaft couplers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to a gearbox and then the servo. Yeah. Which was very cool. So you were stepping down from servo, then planetary gear reduction, and then into a worm drive. Into a worm drive, yeah. Yeah, So quite a bit of torque on that. Quite a a lot of torque, not a lot of speed. Like, there was a lot of questions when we ended up being there of like, oh, is it going to stop? I was like, it will win like <laughs> <laughs> it has nothing but torque but I mean, between the servo at low speed doing what baller. it wants yeah yeah and yeah it's like it it's got torque for days and i remember there being some discussions during some of those design meetings that i was only half paying attention to you because i was in the midst of the marriott projects but there was a question of like torque wise do we even need a speed reducer on there but then there was an answer back of like we don't want these things to be capable of spinning as fast as they would go 
Correct. Yeah. So since it's the worm gear, it's not the most efficient way to do things. And so they really, it's a ton of engagement and a ton of friction. And so they really don't want to spin fast. And so they're like a continuous duty cycle that we got from the sling ring manufacturer. It was like two RPM. Okay. Uh, and then what the customer really wanted was like bar none. The slowest it could go is like three and a half RPM. And so we gave them three and then they saw it in person and that was too fast so (laughs) (laughs) so often the case yeah so if we we could have given them a lot of top end in speed uh, but we wanted to eat that up and just make it so that you can't you know you can't go too fast we don't want to see a bunch of service problems and have to like service these things and have have problems in that way and also they were moving giant pieces of scenery right (laughs) so more torque was definitely better a (laughs) little unclear like how heavy is it gonna be well and that's the thing that i think is interesting point to bring up that like you never not never but like in the world that we deal in oftentimes it's not really known how heavy the load is at at the outset right like people have ideas and guesses and so on but more often than not the scenery ends up being heavier than anyone thought weight is is elusive (laughs) (laughs) i can't remember the last time that the scenery was lighter than what they said yeah Yeah. that is true yeah (laughs) yeah you know I feel like the ATDs and TDs that I've interacted with too, like have a really good guess on like, or a really good estimate on like what the steel frame is going to weigh and like what this steel thing is going to be. And you're like, Oh yeah. I mean, that's like some linear tubes and we can, right. We got that info and they're like, and then we're going to put this brick (laughs) thing on it. And then a ton of, texture and, and the and scenic treatment re- yeah uh, like for, for however much that weighs yeah yeah uh, so torque is good yeah you can overspeed drives right you, you can't get the torque back <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah at the time in the shop there was a bit of a crunch like we didn't have a ton of time to build this thing or i mean i i know you were pressed on the design time too but yeah. like i think there was a fair amount of pressure coming back from the shop as you were sitting in your apartment in new york of like yeah hey don't make something that we can't build quick yeah right? yeah there was a strong well yes it was a strong like this needs to be able to be built and also you're gonna have to come here to build it <laughs> <laughs> so it was a self um like if it was gonna be a I problem mean, cool like whatever you want to make man mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um, and so there was a pretty, you know, there's a lot of difference. We could have approached it, uh, like a more typical slewing ring and rack and pinion sort of situation. Yeah. Uh, and, but the things that the slewing, like just making that switch to the worm gear slew drive was like, cool. The drivetrain is taken care of yeah. good there. And then from the assembly standpoint, we ended up like using the mod trust for structure. So we didn't have to like weld a frame to like make, to right. build in structure. Yep. We ended up using some, you know, pretty stout materials, uh, both because it really needed to be quite stout. And then also like we could do a lot of calcs on these and we could really get them totally needled in as felt as we could possibly make them, or we could make them really strong and like just get some big thick water jet plates cut and cut down, today like, <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um and so there was like very few, i don't actually maybe no tap holes it was like no second ops no like we're just we yeah. really don't have time for tapping and we definitely don't have we time, may not have for, time for the bolts I'm not <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um and so yeah so it was a real crunch both in design and well i felt the design yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh and then yeah and then getting it through the shop so it was kind of like uh, just waiting for parts to show up and then it was just how do we throw these all together 
I find that crucible is actually somewhat energizing. I got to make this thing fast to construct Mm -hmm. and and focusing in on that. How do I make it fast to build? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's 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 a different challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think especially with... It's uh, like a machine design golf. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. I can get down to one stroke. Yeah, I think uh, with a lot of the stock products and things that we do here too, where we're like really production engineering too, where there's a lot of like, how can we make this as slim on parts and go through the shop as fast right. as we can do and stuff like that. And then, you know, that feels like a lot of finicky, like interesting, really kind of specific details and stuff like that. And like when you're just trying to design as fast as you can and you need it to move through the shop as fast as you can, you're like, yeah, that would be elegant, but <laughs> who's gonna draw and who's gonna yeah. build it like <laughs> ain't got time for elegant yeah. yeah exactly uh soviet yeah which i mean that with for the sky turtles i was gonna have to design a new custom enclosure for the drivetrain as well to live because we it was a smart machine the enclosure uh yeah the station lived drive on board. yeah yeah yep uh, and someone had just designed this new machine that happened to use <laughs> Lexium Drive, and I was like, "I'll have that." <laughs> right, <laughs> and I, which I think is honestly like, uh, joking aside, like I think that's kind of the beauty of doing stock products plus, right, where we do custom work too. Mm-hmm. You have some stock thing, and you're like, you know what? I can just use that chunk. And now I know that that chunk of my design is already spoken for. Like mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about the drive cabinet because that's a that's a stock item that I can just throw in there. Right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> and like maybe it's not perfect, right? Like maybe it's not exactly that you could have gotten slimmer or tighter or whatever, right? right? But it's done and done is good. Done is really good. Yeah. Yeah. So if there's any more design stuff, just... It's, cut me off but mm-hmm. the after you designed it and then you came up to the shop and <laughs> put it together, <laughs> put it together yeah. <laughs> then mm-hmm. you also had to go out and install it right yeah yeah i went up to sunny calgary twice <laughs> which was nice uh it was Around sunnier one thanksgiving ish yeah there was one a little earlier because okay. we did end up getting to send the sky turtles first and we did a mock test up with them okay uh, in a second theater uh just to test the idea run the thing set the trusses up everything was you know working yeah dory and then i came back around thanksgiving and then did the like the full well actually i didn't but, do rada did the load in because i was elsewhere <laughs> on another gig yeah where were you on that? i was in uh in san francisco oh right ACT. of course um and then i was somewhere else too i was out for like all of <laughs> november i, <laughs> I went <laughs> only <laughs> to play i had some it's nice too. to travel, isn't it? Sometimes. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I ended up after Rod did a fantastic job loading it in. Then I came in and did the like kind of tech cleanup. Rod is back with us full time as well. Oh, yes. Very happy to have him. <laughs> uh, yeah, went and did the. How long do you guys overlap up there in Calgary? We did not. You didn't at we all. We did not. No. <laughs> You got to leave a little something for the next guy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I landed Monday. He left Monday. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. And he was off to another gig too. So they, we were really just yeah, we were bouncing. Just right. Moving the chess pieces as fast as we could. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that was, that was nice too. It had been a while since I'd been in a theater for like true proper tech. Tech. Yeah. Which was not, which was cool to get back into. Yeah. Oh, I remember this. Uh, it went pretty well. It went well. I think it went overall well. Yeah. I think it was, I think you guys had some rocky moments though, right? We definitely had some rocky moments. I mean, <laughs> I want to start with a push stick in the air. Okay. Yes. The push stick in the air. Yeah. 
so there was four of them in the air. And push stick minis. Push stick minis in the air, yeah. yeah. Uh, they were driving the Sky Turtles. We were having some really bizarre queuing behavior, which at first glance kind of seemed like, oh, that scale might be off. But that would be kind of weird because... Because it's not hitting position or... Yeah, yeah, it was coming up short, but then it was overshooting, and then it was like not finding home, and it was like, (laughs) what is happening? And what was happening (laughs) was the the collar, the set, the screw that holds the collar between the motor and the gearbox uh, is, it's a little buried. It's just a friction clamp. Not right, just a, it is a, it's a clamp. It's a smooth shaft on the motor. Yep. And there's just like a precision clamp that clamps down on that shaft. Correct. And if you don't get that clamping pressure correct, the motor just spins, but it's not right. moving the gearbox. Yeah. And that is what was happening. So, if and where it, is the machine located at that point? The machine at that point was about 25 feet up in the air. <laughs> yeah. Really quite near to an electric, directly above a leg. Like, yeah. it was, it, and I, I think that, the, I mean, it's not, it's definitely not funny, but the thing that is humorous to me, and I think humorous to you too, is that is when the distinction between like, shop guy and road guy, like, comes into, like, distinct focus, <laughs> where they're like, you call back, you're like, hey, I'm having this problem. And we're like, hey, it might be the clamp screw. You're like, cool, cool, cool. That kind of sucks, huh? Yeah. Because like <laughs> now, like this thing is way up in the air and I got to get my ass in the genie and get up there and disassemble the drivetrain yeah. on this machine because you didn't torque the clamp right. Yes. yes. <laughs> and that is what I did. Uh, yeah. And the, that particular screw is on one side of the mm. gearbox. And (laughs) happen to be, there are three sides that are hard to get to. And one side that is quite nice to get to, which is the back side. Oh, so it was, it was on the easy side. You would, you would wish. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It was not. So then it was, you know, untension the pulley, loosen all the bolts, pull it all apart with all the cables connected. There's three cables coming off those servo motors. Uh, so it's just like all in the air, loose, very small parts, 25 right. feet in the air in a genie. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this is on our 15. Like, <laughs> like so when we get to coffee, I'm just gonna go up there and bang this out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, get right into the heart of the machine. Very quickly. I'm just going to disassemble the drivetrain. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not yeah. ideal. That is brutal. Yeah, that was not my. That was not the funnest moment. Yeah. Um. I mean, in some ways, it was like I could see what was happening. I was like, "There's slip somewhere." Right. I went up expecting. Okay, well, house cable. But tension. the number of times. I'm sorry, sorry to yeah. interrupt you, but like the number of times that like you because you c- mentally right as you're standing there trying to like figure out what the hell, why is this thing not hitting position? Right. Mm-hmm. You got everybody's laser eyes at you as the automation guy. Like, why is this thing not working right? Yeah. And you're like. I mean, it, it could be in the drivetrain, <laughs> right? But yeah. the number of times you think that and it is that is a very small number. It's a small number, yeah. Right, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, I was expecting more like, oh, maybe we didn't get the cable clamps, you know, on the machine, so we're slipping. Right. You're at like the slipping at the drive cable. cable. Yeah, yeah like, like roughly the dog, right. the str- sky turtle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, or, you know, maybe the tensioner's off. Like, maybe we've got some, just some slack cable, and so we just got really swishy motion or something's happening. All of that looked excellent. <laughs> and I was like, like oh. I think I know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most hateful one to have. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Ugh. So that was a rocky moment. That was a rocky moment. Yeah. But 
you got through it. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing about that though is it is immediately like you put the wrench on it and you're like, oh, you, it spins. Uh, you're like, mm, okay. And then you set it as position and then you run it back and forth and you're like, and it works. Cool. Keep now it it'll all be great. It'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only other sticking moment that I can think is uh, there was some spotline trouble with the four spotlines that were all hanging on the same piece of scenery. Yep. Lifting up the same piece of scenery. Uh, and they were all in group motion in Spike Mark. And um, in Spike Mark, when you have a group, there's a little button at the bottom that says copy to group. So you can edit one of the cues and hit copy to group and it'll just blast it to the other motors in that group. Yeah, which is just a pause on that for a second. Like the point there is that the group motion is really about kind of fault grouping, right? That we want to make sure that everybody in that group is doing what they are supposed to do or else the whole group stops. But we don't dictate that you have to have the same motion profile and everything in the group because then you could never do kind of like funky bunch motion profiles. Correct, like a, yeah. You know, if you want to tip a truss or something, right? You need yeah. them to go to different places and so on. So you're not locked. The only thing that's dictated by Spike Mark is that these things have to do what you program them to do. Otherwise, everything will stop. Right. Yeah, that's a good That's a good clarification. Right. Yeah. Um, and so in this case, we really did want you them. You got a bridge <laughs> and like four motors picking up a bridge. They all want to do the exact, exact same, same motion. Yeah. yeah. And so we made it, we tried to make it as easy as we could by putting a button to blast those yeah, so uh, you can like any in any motor of that group, punch in the motion profile for that cue, and then hit that button that says right. copy to group, and yep. then blast it. So Everybody's the whole thing. Yeah. all good. And then when you don't, then it, they 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 dutifully do something different. different. Yes, <laughs> yeah. uh, which unfortunately did happen. Editing cues and uh, the operator missed the last box uh and didn't update one of the motors one of the motors one so of the motors. three of them did it three of them did it one of them did not and it would happen to be the first time their actors were going to be on it oh, uh, which is always the best time to have your right automation error uh to yeah lose that confidence that they'll never get back <laughs> <laughs> never. yeah you'll never you'll yeah. never trust us again yeah uh yeah and so it got missed and the queue fired and one was uh slower right and, and so it went so slack. the entire yeah yeah whoa so this bridge is trying to like come in at a faster pace and one motor is hanging them up is that what uh, no it now? was in and they got on oh and okay so and they're supposed to it fly was slow out. so yeah so the one that one was slow co- went one slack. corner went slack yeah i gotcha uh yeah. and and just started tipping uh pretty and everyone slide starts to slide towards the quick exit off the bridge yes with, towards the floor yeah yeah that's terrifying uh, yeah so that was not awesome um and so but it, yeah it's hard to explain i mean it and it doesn't help but like that the thing was actually doing exactly what it was asked to do right but what the operator asked it to do was improper not, yeah, yeah exactly exactly so yeah that was that was not awesome either but i mean after that we have a discussion. Although if our spot lines had slack detection, that would be better. That would be better. Yeah. Right? Some slack would, detection. Yeah. Cause it defaulted. It would have faulted and then stopped the group. Yeah. Yeah. The day. V2. The list is long. <laughs> is short. Yeah. Yeah. V2. V2 baby. Um, at the time we were running the whole show, I think it was 14 axes for the show on a, like a 17 inch laptop. And so also on the sky drill units were some air brakes on an effects. Oh yeah, that we were firing 
And so stagehand effects. Stagehand effects. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And so there was a fair amount of axes, all with a bunch of motion and a lot of things and a lot yeah. of things to watch all the time. And so what ended up happening was the last Some axes. Some of the stuff was not on screen. Not on screen. Yeah. The spot lines happened to be the last thing on the right. And so the last one was off screen. And so then it got missed. Yeah, yeah. Just to dig into that a little bit. So for folks that don't run Spike Park all the time, as the guy who like wrote Spike Mark in the beginning. I have a lot of love for it, but I'm not too much love for it to point out where it sucks. And that where it sucks is that if you imagine the Q grid as a grid of X and Y columns and rows, and so all of the axes are columns. If you get more axes than can fit on screen, you just kind of shift to a side scrolling view. Some axes are now invisible. They're off screen. If you pan, you can see them. Right. But that's not really helpful if you have motion that involves like axis number one and axis number 14. Correct. Then you can't see both states at the same time. Right. Um, at the moment, all you can do is get a bigger screen to see more. Yeah. Which, Which is, is what, what did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So dinner hit and I was like, cool, I'm going to go to Best Buy and we're going to just buy a big... Like a 4K monitor yeah, or whatever. Yeah, ultra-wide monitor uh, yeah. in a mount. And so we mounted I mounted that, I think, up and plugged it into the laptop and then all of a sudden now we can see all the axes and we can get everything. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, so we had all the spot lines all in one view. And it makes, it, makes a big difference, it, though. Yeah, like yeah. we went through a lot of loops trying to think about like what we could pull out of the effects to like get some indicators for, cause the air breaks, we want to make sure that we are constantly watching to make sure you're not trying to move this without dragging through the floor and all these other things. And it was like, Oh, you just get a bigger monitor and then spike mark will be bigger and it'll be easier to see right. the things that you're trying to see. You won't be squinting at a smaller screen. Right. Uh, and it ended up making a world of difference. Like as after that happened, it was, you know, which is kind of a pro tip with spike mark that mm -hmm. if you end up having this uh, same situation, getting a bigger monitor. Yeah. I did the same thing at Marriott as well. Like yeah. just run out and grab a 4k monitor. So speaking of, uh, rotating things the thing that you're working on right now is actually kind of similar to sky turtle it is it doesn't track but it is right. a rotator uh from the top <laughs> from the top <laughs> rotating from the top I, you know it's all messed up it's all upside down yeah. yeah uh yeah so it's a it's smaller uh the machine at least yeah. um but it's it's for kinetic sculpture of a kind that is a four inch roughly yeah it's like a four inch by 12 foot tall led, LED. column so there's leds on four sides um and then it hangs from the ceiling and rotates hmm. it's in some way hmm. tbd um but yeah it'll rotate well uh, the rotating we the rotating TBD. no it's yeah it's totally gonna spin locked. yeah well <laughs> cook it cut <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the plan is, yeah, it's going to spin. And yeah. so there's uh, similar elements to what we had for the Sky Turtle. It's a servo-powered spinning, top spinning unit that uh, has a slip ring for, this has power passed through. The Sky Turtle had a little bit more uh, passing through. Yeah, I don't know that we ever actually touched on that in Sky Turtle, but we had, there was a slip ring that had to have power and data on the Sky yeah. Turtle, but this one just has power. Just power. Yep. Yeah. Um, did you guys use Orbix for both? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's actually uh, the same like model series, and okay. it's, yeah, yeah, they're generally 
available. Right. Out of so, California, Orbix, good people. They seem yeah. to have good slipperings and yeah. Like you said, generally available. So. Yeah, which is nice. Yeah. Um yeah, and so similar in a lot of ways, except for much smaller. So the 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 total unit is about twenty feet tall, which is quite tall, but the machine itself is 12 inches wide. By, <laughs> it's like roughly a, like a tabloid size paper. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like a 12 by 18 paper, about eight inches tall. Right. Uh, so and the weight's got to be nearly nothing. I mean, not nearly nothing, but comparatively. Like, comparatively. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's less than the, <laughs> any of the components. <laughs> I was going to try and pick one, but yeah, any of the components from the sky turtles. Yeah. So it was much, much smaller. And so it is also similarly eh, different, but it is also on a quite a fast timeline too. Uh, so it had, so approaching the design for that machine was thinking, how simple can we make the drivetrain? How right. efficient can we build it? And right. by we, I mean me, <laughs> <laughs> how efficient can I build it? Um, and so, yeah, so we kind of went back to a, we went to, since it is so small, we went and got with an Igus slewing ring, yeah, uh, which is quite nice. They've got the dry glide slewing ring, so it's not filled with oil. It's just runs on bearings. Oh, uh, I got to back up. Sorry. Because yeah. that, when you brought that up, that was a thing with Sky Turtle back in Calgary, right? Yes. It was like, it, they're packed with grease and... <laughs> and it's essentially a cup with a bearing <laughs> floating in it uh, is how the 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 guy I talked to uh, described, told, it, described yeah. it after I had already designed the machine and the <laughs> interactions between the scenery and everything were all pretty well sorted. And then uh, it was upside at, down. It was upside down. And I was like, well, is it going to leak a little? You know, I've seen some bearings leak. And he was like, yeah, it's going to be like you're going to need to re-grease it like after like probably a little less than a month and i was like oh he's like it won't be a big it'll run it won't be a big deal i mean as long as just whatever's under it isn't super important like, <laughs> it is. like what's under it is absolutely important, important. It's the stage <laughs> <laughs> and the scenery and the performers and yeah. yeah uh so from it went from like one big plate with this thing hung Upside down <laughs> with some plates to mate to the scenery it ended up being like another giant plate on some standoffs. And then we had to like, since we 180 the whole assembly, then we had to like make another plate with a tube to like, kind of like pass through itself. It right. was, it got, yeah, yeah it got yeah. heavy <laughs> and complex, <laughs> uh, but we were down the path. It was ordered. <laughs> Right. Um, so hopping back, hopping forward in time to the to the spinner the, for the art installation, you're going with an Igus bearing that has no, no grease. No grease. No worries about that. No worries at all. Uh, so it's just a pinion drive um, and then a similar gearbox to what we use. in. It's the motor that we use in the Pushtick Mini, uh, Mitsubishi 400 watt servo. Mm. Uh, and then an What's the name of that company? The Gearbox Company. Oh, Neugart. Neugart. <laughs> I was like, like I want to help you out, but I'm not sure which one. Uh, I lost myself. Yeah, same, yeah, yeah. Uh, a similar flavor Neugart gearbox um, as the Pushstick Mini, just a 90 degree because it wants to be lower profile and small. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so in the world of using things we already know and what's the easiest path, I ended up using the mounting plate and all the connection details that we have on the Pushstick oh. Mini Nice. So no custom machining new parts. We just 
click print on a thing that we already make uh, and integrated that in. Oh, cool. So simplified the drivetrain as much as we possibly could, use as many components we already know. No grease, no (laughs) 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 problems there. Slippering somewhat similar to the one we did on the Sky Turtle. Uh, Yeah, and so... One of the uh, hiccups, or not hiccups, but like a challenge here is that this thing is bound for Korea. Yes. <laughs> Into an art gallery. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm only on the periphery, but I mean, it seems like the art gallery has some unknown specifics about like the mounting detail and so on, right? There, is that, that is true. Yeah. So we had gotten some photos of their ceiling because there's like a, you know, ceiling and then they're up above it they took some photos of a hole that you can get into that where we want to mount the structure the structure it really is uh and harry drew up a big clamping structure to the i-beams above because the lower structure seems a bit dodgy it seems a little dodgy yeah uh so we're gonna have to go and clamp some things and by we i mean you (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i was gonna have to it's a monarchical we yeah uh, yeah. Crawl around in the ceiling of a dodgy art gallery to mount to some I-beams. Insole. Yeah, insole. Um, and the team from the gallery came back and said, like, we've got some people that can do that. Oh. Which was like, okay, cool. Are you going to do the thing we drew or something else? And that is still unclear. Uh, <laughs> so we um, we still we have the structure and it has been, it was already like ordered and ready to go. So we're gonna ship the thing that we drew and be ready to punt if whatever happens is yeah. not gonna be up to snuff. And as we record this, like you are literally assembling this machine and a couple of weeks away from heading to yeah Korea. yeah correct yeah so assembly and. Assembly is done and testing starts tomorrow. Uh, so yeah, so just got it assembled today. And I know there were a couple of like parts that were machined incorrectly and stuff that you've had to catch and have send back to Breezy and Mark to have them remachine them. But then yeah. otherwise, how has the assembly gone? Uh, it's gone pretty okay. Uh, the it, it kind of flew together like with the parts. Like once it got them all yeah. in line, the one thing that I kind of just noticed towards the end of the day is the we machined all the parts just because of the timeline uh, like there are a lot of flat parts that could been like water jet or oh, some yeah, other yeah. flat routed something other and we since we have our super badass Haas breezy kind of awesome threw them in and and did them that path mm-hmm. um but the thing with that that I noticed right before the end of the day is the there's a lot of circular plates with a bunch of mating like bolt patterns in them yeah and those are two different operations so he drilled all the holes uh and then located and then did uh, the outsides and so like the concentricity between that bolt pattern and the od is not is not not good good Mm, that sucks yeah so it it walks quite a bit at the moment um Mm. so that's gonna be a struggle that happens today tomorrow <laughs> so you're gonna <laughs> have to remake parts then is that- i think tbd i mean it's yeah. a very small machine and it walks about an eighth of an inch maybe that's still quite a bit it's though. quite a bit yeah. yeah and so i'm trying to see if we can cheat some of if we can make remake one yes yeah. probably yes probably probably, gonna, make probably gonna make some parts. parts yeah and then i was also noting the pinion is at the moment engaging only on the top side of the slewing drive Oh, uh, so you got something that's not 
in aligned. Yeah. yeah. And the, the drive top top assembly is an assembly we know and love, which we use in the Pushstick Mini, which we haven't run into those issues. And it seems pretty flat. Are both of those things faced? Like yeah. The, yeah. So something got machined out yeah. of plane. Yeah. Either that plate is out of plane or the we board the pinion. We no. had to open it. So it could be the pinion is off as well. Yeah, we could have screwed that up in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. So it did spin today. Yeah. But not well. Not. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. So it'll be an adventure for tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it generally, I mean, there's some parts are probably going to remake, but like the concept so far is functioning and I'm halfway tempted to kick it back to breezy and say, Hey, we're going to remake these but I'm still going to hang it and spin something. Cause like conceit of we're going to hang a 20 foot leg off this very small thing is still going to be true. Whether it's slightly out of true. That's an interesting problem in my head of that. You have this very small diameter object that you're going to try to hang from a, with a very long length. Yeah. Like how is that going to, yeah. Yeah. So we tried to, I tried to make the, drivetrain and the machine itself and the attachment to whatever it's going to be attached to as rigid as we could make it. Um, and so then hanging f- between the LED column and the machine is a six foot three inch by three inch mod truss leg, um, which is also quite rigid. Uh, so the, all the connections all the way through are going to be quite rigid. Failure point then will become the LED column because it is a series of bent sheet metal parts. And it's then all becomes about the connection there yeah uh which right now it seems quite quite stiff but i i think that no matter what we did above how loose we could make the machine it would always be the weakest point yeah you know so i'm i'm not i'm really not sure i mean i think the thing that we're gonna have to do is really start spinning it see what it looks like get a load onto the leg that we have here that's not the led and yeah. look what those e-stop conditions look like. If it looks really violent and it looks like we're really twisting some stuff, then we're going to have to look at limiting speed. Um, yeah. And then barring that, then it's looking at, you know, prob- I mean, I don't know. There's a few things we could do. Looking at a different motor that doesn't have a brake, looking at, you yeah, know. Yeah, we were talking about the, a little bit in the pre-show chat, like, a, like you know, the, this thing, because it spins at roughly 30 RPM. Yeah. Right? And one of the things we were discussing is like, well, maybe that motor just shouldn't have a brake on it, right? Like right. so that you hit e-stop and then we pull power from the output stage of the amplifier, but then let it coast, right? Because mm-hmm. the actual risk to surrounding people is minimal, minimal. and uh, but the potential for it ruining itself is higher. Right. And so let just like let the inertia um, kind of, find itself and come to a stop. But as you pointed out, if we don't have a break on it, there's also the potential that people like just messing with it, like docents for the exhibit could like bump into this thing or manipulate it and spin it. And because it's not, because our system doesn't do absolute encoders, right? We're always doing incremental encoders. We would not recognize that shift in position. Right. And then that would throw off our positioning on the queuing. So it's a it's a balancing act there of right. like having a break on there will at least lock position and we'll know that we aren't working with a false position when we start up. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it is a bit of a balance too, knowing that it's going to soul and being yeah. operated in somewhat public space by people that aren't 
what we would typically think of like no, automation, automation people, yeah. Yeah. of like what's that troubleshooting path when can they contact us when we actually have shared time they can be there what's that you know yeah it's definitely a consideration it's a consideration yeah right? yeah it goes yeah wow that's <laughs> tough yeah good yeah, luck like, with that <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah yeah and then the other thing that we should talk about is the um showstopper three um there's a bunch of new products that you've designed and these are actually not yet out in the wild, but they're all uh, they're all designed. They've been like all the renderings are done, et cetera, et cetera. We're just kind of waiting to phase out the old stuff and phase in the new stuff. Right. Yeah. Correct. Uh, yeah. So it's a little bit of expansion on the showstopper products we know and love that have been out in the wild for a few years now, and then a couple new ones, uh, mostly aimed towards catering towards like a permanent install or like, you know, like kind of facility, automation. facility automation. Yeah. Um, so on the showstopper front, uh, the things that we have already that we kind of upgrading, yeah. uh, would be the showstopper three base and the hub. hub. Right. Yeah. Um, we're going from what used to be, uh, on the base three accessory outputs and, eight e-stop outputs yeah uh we're going up to 10 e-stop outputs yeah which is nice a little more bang yeah a little more bang for your buck you just get two more you get two more uh and then on the hub you are getting also the same upgrade from eight to ten and then we're also including another accessory output so now it's one accessory input from and your base and then two accessory outs two accessory outs yeah oh nice so a little also a little more bang for your buck right yeah um so that should be a nice little upgrade to the platform right. like not earth shattering you wouldn't like if you own a showstopper three base you wouldn't we wouldn't imagine you'd want to <laughs> upgrade just right. for this yeah but if you're buying a new one you get a little more out of it yeah yeah definitely uh and then there's some expansion beyond that Correct. Yeah. So the main kind of showstopper product that is going to be new that's more in line with the ones we've already done would be we're coming out with the Showstopper 3 accessory hub, uh, which is going to be six accessory outputs. Outputs. Yeah. With one input. Right. So you can like daisy chain this into your base or off of a hub, and this will give you more accessory outputs. And the, so like the accessory outputs cover things like your showstopper three remotes and pendants and consulate outlets, et cetera. Correct. But really targeting, I mean, anyone could have them if they want them, but it's targeted towards the, again, for, towards the facility automation where you might want to be hard piping in more showstopper three accessory receptacles throughout the building. Is that? That is right? true. Yeah. 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 This one is we, it, we came upon it by the, way of more permanent install things but it could also be totally nice if you have found yourself with your showstopper base on the deck or in needing a remote in the pit and also up on the grid and one on the jump and then all of a sudden you're daisy chaining between giant massive stretches of your theater right. you could get an accessory hub and then you can just do home runs to whichever uh, location that you want to be doing yeah uh, which would be pretty nice it is uh, definitely yeah um yeah which, so yeah, so there's that, which is pretty exciting and cool and new. Um, and then another two things which are really, really specifically targeted for the 
permanent install would be the e-stop patch panel and the accessory patch panel. Uh, so when we've tried to do some permanent install things in the past, the thing that always gets to be tricky is our IRC connectors and those terminations. Yeah. Um, and so this is a device, it's a 3U device that's similar, same case style as the rest of our Showstopper products, but uh, you can land in raw wire terminals. You can, your local general contracting electrician can, anyone with some strippers can land some wires, and then what you get out of it is our e-stop IRC connectors that uh, work with all of our products. Um, oh, th so that's for the accessory the accessory hub uh, patch, patch panel, patch panel. <laughs> accessory yeah. patch panel. Yeah. And then the same is true for the e-stop patch panels, which is bring in your two wires, which are going out to the, your e-stop inputs, and then you are getting out your five pin XLR that'll work with our system. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And those also like, I think in the same breath, it's worth mentioning that this lines up with the new. Uh, facility faceplates, right? Correct, yes. So we've got three new uh, facility boxes that are all based out of a, like a three-gang, like, you know, three-gang outlet like you've got in your house for your lights and things. Yeah. Uh, and so they sit flush to your theater, you get embedded, and then they are, the first one is the... <laughs> it's, the it's the control faceplate, right? Yeah. Like you got a control faceplate? Yeah, we got the control connection, the drive connection, and then the remote e-stop. There we go. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> what do we name those? Uh, yeah. Naming is hard. Naming is hard. Yeah. So, so the remote e-stop is much like, I mean, is functionally the same as the Showstopper like 3 remote. That right. The surface did. mount box that's like a little gray NEMA. Yeah. Four by four. Yeah. But this yep. is now like wall mountable. Right. Yep. yep. And then the control connection is going to be two Ethernet uh, like network ports as well as a Showstopper accessory. Okay. Um, so thinking there you could hook up a pendant you know, your network for your pendant and your uh, showstopper accessory coming in, and then now you're ready to rock, uh, plus an extra for going to your SpikeMark uh, laptop or right, computer. To, or if you had a consulate plus exactly. a laptop, et cetera. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then the drive connection is a network and e-stop. Okay. So you can hook up a stagehand wherever this goes. But no longer, so this is like a divergence from the old ACP, which was very short-lived in our product lineup, but the... Um, the or APB, sorry, not the ACP. I, I'm getting mixed up with <laughs> But the what we used to call the APP, which is the automation PowerPoint, um, which had an L1530 built into it. The new uh, concept here has no power in it because the, the realization after doing this for a little bit was that, like, you know, really electrical contractors don't need us to tell them how to wire up an L1530 or whatever power connection they need. They can handle that off of a riser diagram themselves. Um, but what these incor incorporate are just the, uh, the fancy bits that are specific to yep. our uh, stagehands in the, for the drive connections or the uh, showstopper accessories. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Anything else to say about that stuff? Uh, We're pretty far in at this point. It's yeah. been a good conversation. I think we got got more to talk about, but it's probably good to save that for another episode, right? Right. I think so. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, thanks again, Cody, for uh, 
taking the time to sit down with me and talk this through after a long day on the shop floor. And uh, <laughs> Thank you. No problem. <laughs> See you guys all later. <laughs> all right. Good night, everyone.